Hello and welcome to the Cut in the Dry here on TLG Radio. I'm Kip Mock, your host, back with your co-host, Isaac Lopez. It's good to be back. Uh, back with microphones. It's true. <laughs> oh, the audio is probably going to be... Yeah, the audio I, I do apologize about that last week. I, <laughs> I thought that what I had set up was going to work and that I uh, listened to it back and thought, wow, this is horrifying. So <laughs> it was pretty rough. My apologies for that. Um, but hopefully this week... Yeah. We're back to sounding fresh and crisp. You sound crisp. Ah, I can already tell. Thanks, Isaac. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so today's a fun one because unlike usually where we have some notes in front of us, uh, Isaac has absolutely no idea what we're no talking idea. about. No idea. And I, in fact, usually if we don't know what we're going to talk about, I'll like run Isaac through what I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah. I didn't do that this week because mm-hmm. I just want to spring it on him. And see how it goes. <laughs> it's, uh, welcome back to the show. This is why. This is what you get from missing. Yeah, <laughs> missing this is one. What week. you get for yeah. taking a break, Isaac. Um, so, what we're going to talk about is kind of a continuation of the last couple weeks. I okay. did. I did clue him in on that, so he's not totally blind. <laughs> Don't cut him too much slack, everybody. Um, so we've been discussing a little bit about civil disobedience, civil resistance over um, the last straight and narrow, yep. and. Well, I think the previous dry. episodes, yeah. yeah. So w- we've talked a bit about that, and um, as I said on kind of the first episode where we intentionally discussed that, um, it's still something that I'm I'm processing through. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a revelation in in a conversation earlier this week um, that that I think was it was helpful for me in articulating what I think is going on. One of the one of the reasons and one of the root problems with what's going on. Um, and that I, th- I think it's just something people should be thinking about. So mm. hopefully it's okay. helpful for everybody listening to this and it'll be helpful for me to talk through it again with, with Isaac and see what he thinks as well. So we're going to talk through, um, well, what I, I discussed this a little bit on the last episode, if you could tell what I was saying, which I wouldn't blame you if you couldn't, but... Um, if you could tell what I was saying. I was discussing uh, near the end of the episode how um, every Christian, I think, would would agree that there does come a point where resistance to the existing civil government is not only merited, but biblically justified and, in some cases, even required. Yeah. Um, and, and I was saying the rub comes... Not that Christians don't think that there are cases where you ought to disobey the government, but uh, that the line that's being drawn, um, some people are just choosing to ignore. Mm-hmm. And, and so where I'm going with this is, um, well, let me, let me start with a bit of an analogy. Okay. Because um, this... This analogy is kind of what triggered the realization in my mind. So um, imagine for a second that you're, you're a person who is uh, witnessing a violent murder. And for whatever reason, you're unable to do anything about it. Hmm. So imagine yourself in that scenario. And now, um, and, and really, pardon the pardon the unpleasantness of this word picture, but really try to picture what would be going on physiologically. Mm. Like what is your visceral reaction right. to that to that scenario that you're being placed mm. in? You're totally helpless. You're totally powerless. 
and you're watching this thing happen that any human would naturally have a visceral reaction to try to stop. Right. Um, so, so imagine that scenario, and, and now just zoom out a little bit, and um, let's take a couple other scenarios that are happening right now. Mm-hmm. So um, 75 million babies having yeah. been violently murdered. Yeah. Um, Christians and dissenters and resistors of the Taliban being murdered in Afghanistan right now. Um, so I guess where I'm trying to go with this analogy is the media as it exists right now giving you access to information around the world mm-hmm. within minutes. Yeah. Has effectively placed every person who has access to the internet in the position of constantly being stuck behind bulletproof glass watching a murder take place in front of them all the time. Mm. And the result of that <clears throat> is a hardening of mm. one's natural reaction to want to stop or prevent evil. Right. Do you, do you, mm. do you get where I'm going, Isaac? Does yeah. this do you agree with me? Do you think I'm crazy? Yeah, no, I, that was an interesting move. I, like, I didn't necessarily know where you're going <laughs> with that. And, and you were starting to equate a few things. And I was like, this is like, where, where are you going? Cause, but I thought that was, that's very a unique approach to those three situations. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, I think you're spot on. So the, yeah, just media desensitizes people. That yeah, it, that's. I mean, you can say that in films when it comes to violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that it be, has become so commonplace that there are certain levels of violence that are just like, oh, that's almost like a paper cut in real life when really someone just died on screen. Um, right, and I, I think that's pretty uh, equivalent to what you're just describing in real life. Yeah. Right? Um, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> the one thing I want to I want to make clear here is because from that analogy you could very easily take away oh i i am a powerless victim right in the media machine right there there are terrible things going on in the world and in my country and in my county and in my city and it's it's all the media's fault yeah. for desensitizing me to it or or whatever the case may be there there are a number of other examples of this that we could delve into um but that's not the case. <laughs> it's it's still your fault if you're letting um, the desensitization. Is that a word? Did I just I make a word? It works. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> like we understand. Okay. All right. I'll trust that everybody understands where I'm going with that. Um, but it's 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 on you if you let that change how you live your life, mm-hmm. um, and and ultimately you're responsible for judging what's going on around you in a uh, just and equitable fashion. Right. And that's, that's genuinely not easy to do. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to do. Yeah. Um, and and, and there, there are a lot of nuances here um, in the sense that, uh, let's, okay, so let's contrast the abortion carnage versus the Taliban take over right. right now. So, you know, there <clears throat> there are people 
there are people dying. You good there? Yeah, I don't know. It was <laughs> like the, my throat was making some weird noises. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Isaac's just having some throat issues and made a funny face. So apologies for the interruption. Yeah. <laughs> um, should be laughing right now. You're Isaac, contrasting. Yeah, 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 contrasting anyway, keep, abortion keep, keep and, in Afghanistan. We'll um, so, so it's it's difficult to equitably, fairly, and justly, as a human being, that's mm. finite. Um, contrast the truth and reality right. of the genocide that's been happening in the United States for last 50 years um, with something going on in Afghanistan yeah. where, you know, there, there is constant media coverage mm-hmm. and not only that, but perhaps even friends or right. um, people you're uh, familiar with mm-hmm. who are being hurt or are in danger or right. have even been killed. Right. Um, there's, there's, I'm trying to unravel exactly where the where the where the divide is and why why it is that um, I think I have an answer and I'll, I'll run it by you in a second, Isaac. But I, I'm, I'm what I'm trying to get to is why is there um, why is there such a visceral reaction mm-hmm. to of sorrow, disgust, anger mm. to the Taliban's actions. And <clears throat> there's a sense of complacency yeah. towards five decades of genocide yeah. in, in the United States, right? And, and I think that there's one answer. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that this is true of everybody yeah obviously i'm making a big generalization here but i think that there's a partial answer in that um and this is a, a danger to that that i'm cautioning against yeah. right there's there is a desire to uh not only Okay, let, let, me, let me explain this with another, going back to my original okay. analogy. So I want to I make sure I'm communicating this clearly. So let's, let's go back to that analogy of being stuck behind the plexiglass watching, mm-hmm. a, watching a murder take place. Um, let's imagine a scenario similar where, for whatever reason, there's actually an incentive for you, let's say... Uh, to put it very simply, there are four guys murdering another guy, and you uh, know that if you go help, you're probably going to die too, mm-hmm. right? That's that's an incentive to not engage with the scenario as you ought to, because you'd be putting your comfort, your life, um, and and a lot of yourself. On the, your entire life on the line mm. to do what's right in that scenario, yeah. um, and I think that there's a similar thing going on with um, American Christians' refusal to recognize the horror going on around them, because in order to do so, and in order to uh, fully 
attempt to wrap their mind around the evil that is currently going on in our country. Yeah. They would they would have to sacrifice perhaps their job, mm-hmm. um, their status, their friends, yeah. their relatives, um, <clears throat> and in some cases, maybe something more serious than that. Right. And that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. Mm. And do you see where I'm going with it? Do you, do I think you, so. Are, you, are we on track? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to jump in here? Because I, yeah. I feel like I'm starting to ramble. No, I think, well, I've got a couple of thoughts that I okay. just want to throw out there. There are two things, I think, that, um, that uh, set Afghanistan and abortion in the U.S. apart. Okay. So, uh, there, there's the, um, the reason why someone may be distraught at, over the news in Afghanistan and over the videos and pictures coming out there mm-hmm. and complacent when it comes to abortion in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I think what you're getting at was really the heart of the issue. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple things to consider. One is that Afghan- the, the videos out of Afghanistan, they are heart-wrenching, they're gut-wrenching, and mm-hmm. they're happening right now. Right. We have lost the battle to uh, just news over abortion Right, mm-hmm. and there aren't really a lot of videos except for what came out from CMP and David Daladin back mm-hmm. in 2015. Right? right, those were like probably the most graphic videos that we put out, um, except for some of the you know new movies that have come out. Like um, mm-hmm. uh, there's that one abortion film that came out two oh, years ago, yep. mm-hmm. uh, but uh, that really got into the nitty gritty, mm-hmm. right? And so there there is that juxtaposition. Like we're just we haven't seen a lot. We don't see imagery over what uh, um, killed baby looks mm-hmm. like, right? But we're seeing all this footage, and mm-hmm. we're hearing about these U.S. service members that have been blown up. You mm-hmm. know, just all of this stuff. That's horrific. So yeah. that's one thing. The other thing is that we've lost. Um, one one is really simple to sympathize with, with because everyone's sympathetic to the losses and hurt in Afghanistan. Right. Like everyone is. So it's really yeah. easy to do that. We've already lost the battle when it comes to defining what a birth and an abortion is. You know, right. like we can no longer call um, in the majority of the states abortion murder according to the law. Right. Right. We've lost that. And that was a battle we should have been pushing back 60, 70 years ago mm-hmm. prior to Roe v. Wade. Right. right. And so yeah. that we've, we've lost that. And so when we talk about it, we're doing so much legwork that people, like, it's exhausting to just pick up the subject. Right. And people are just hardened to it. But yeah. th- those are a couple of things, but I like what you're getting at. It was the heart of the issue. Right. right? Like, people are just Well, like, I think that second scared. point you made is incredibly important um, because, because you're totally right. And that is, that is a... <clears throat> in a sense, it, it juxtaposes the issue with a little bit more clarity and mm-hmm. I like it and I'm trying to, I'm trying to unravel exactly how I ought to put this, but, yeah. um, because there is not ubiquitous recognition right. for abortion as the genocide that it is, mm-hmm. um, that does introduce practical yeah. issues. Right. right. And, and that's not something that should be discounted. It doesn't change the reality of right. what God says is going right on. Answer. Yeah. Um, but it does it does change the it does change how how you are able to engage mm-hmm. with the issue. Um, Absolutely. Because I mean, perhaps not with the current administration, but 
generally speaking, when, when something like this is happening to U.S. citizens and U.S. service members overseas, mm-hmm. this means immediate and decisive action yeah. to stop it, right. to right. end the terrorist organization. Generally speaking, it doesn't mean that the CIA director is meeting with the Taliban. Right. Uh, right. Yep. That's that's not usually what happens. So uh, I understand that this isn't isn't a a great example of the United States intervening in a helpful manner. <laughs> but generally speaking, you could you could count on the government to stand behind what's happening as right. wrong, evil, stop it, end yeah. it, fight it. Right. And when you're when you're living in the same country as genocide going on that's sanctioned by the government, mm. that's a that's a radically different Absolutely. battle to fight. Yeah. Totally. And and ultimately we got here because, like you said, we already lost yeah. the battle for right. defining what murder is. Right. Yeah. We already we already gave that definition up to the culture and now what God says is murder mm-hmm. is no longer what is called murder in the United States. Yeah. And that's that's a pretty serious problem. It is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and what I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is not to be insensitive to the hurt, the carnage, the murder and destruction that is happening in Afghanistan. Um, but tying back into the whole whole start and whole purpose of this conversation is um, I think we, as Christians, we ought to be more thoughtful about where where the line is, because the United States government has sanctioned far more murder mm-hmm. and carnage than the Taliban. Right. Right. And and that's that's not because of a, n- a number of things. Uh, the example you brought up of limited media coverage, right? right? That's another great example mm-hmm. of, of why this, I guess, smokescreen yeah. has been put in place. Yeah. But again, harking back to what I said earlier, it's on you <laughs> to mm-hmm. see through that smokescreen. Yeah. You can't just, you can't ju- you're not going to be able to stand before the great white throne right. and say, well, CNN lied. Yeah. That's not going to fly. Amen. Um, you, you, you're going to have to answer for why you did what you did, why you said what you said, why you stood where you stood, mm-hmm. and why you fell over backwards where you didn't stand. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> I think that a, a sound and thoughtful understanding of the carnage that is going on in the United States of, of America is necessary. Yeah. Um, you can't, we've lost the battle, right? Yeah. But Christ has won the war. That's, that's right. the, ultimate, the ultimate bottom line mm-hmm. to, to any discussion. And um, I'm tired of Christians thinking that this is the new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that be with COVID yeah. Uh, whether that be with genocide, it's not the new normal mm-hmm. because Christ is here to redeem the world. Christ yeah. came to redeem the world and we're here to finish his work. And we're not going to finish his work by 
sitting back and letting s- Satan have his way with right. the world. Amen. And, and so the time has come and long gone to mm-hmm. draw the line. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, I'm not calling for armed rebellion against the government, <laughs> just in case anybody is getting any crazy ideas. It's a good um, quote, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I am calling for is, first of all, the, the first step to uh, getting, getting out from the burden of any personal sin is understanding that you actually have that sin to begin with, that it needs to be, needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Um, you need to understand the depth of your own of your own uh, failures in order to take that measure of, yeah. of grace. Yeah. In order to receive that measure of grace. Let's go. Yeah. And You're spot on, man. In in the same way, we're not going to get out of the we're not going to take back the ground we've lost mm. in the U.S. unless Christians across this country are willing to recognize the state of the failure mm. of this nation as a whole right. and ultimately of the church by not standing up for the rights of children yep. to begin with. Yep. Um, so start with yourself and start picking off the blindfolds mm-hmm. that you've put on yourself to try to lead a comfy life without having to think about uh any of the inconveniences that come by saying difficult things and by standing up in places that are not so comfortable. Um, Stop it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm off on a rant. No, 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 no. no. I mean, uh, you're, I mean, you've talked about this for the last three episodes for good reason. Right. I mean, it's, it's the, I I, I am harping on this. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's a good, good thing to harp on and to focus on. I mean, because it, it is getting ridiculous that uh, as a church, as a body of believers, we are moving so many different directions. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it's backwards. It's yeah. retreating, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what you're getting at in the previous episode when you're right. going solo and talking about how, hey, this is, uh, you know, this is getting to the time where you should be willing to lose your job. Right. I yeah. mean, you should be willing to lose your job, whatever. I mean, that's not the most important thing in this life. Yeah. And I, I would argue it's not even the top three, right? I mean, there's a lot of other things that come before it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people generally put that ahead of a lot of things because they're like, how will I provide? Well, God's going to provide. Yeah. And you just follow him. That's, yeah. your, that's your simple directive, right? Mm-hmm. And that directive gets more complex as you grow deeper in your relationship with him. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty simple. Don't give up on God, and he won't turn his back on you. Right. So. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Now, I do want to temper this a little okay. bit, um, because I, I 100% agree with you. Yeah. But I don't want to give off the impression, and, and you're welcome to disagree with me here if you do. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm not just shutting you down. But um, I would temper that by saying, if you're, if you're, you're going to put yourself in a difficult scenario... Um, at your job by saying, no, I'm not going to sign this intersectionality mm-hmm. training. I'm not going to go to this eight-hour seminar about right. what intersections of oppression have occurred in my workplace and what tier I'm on in regard to the other employees here. Um, recognize 
um, don't be like the farmer who goes out and says, well, if God wills it, I'll have a harvest, so I won't bother planting any seeds. Right. Right. So um, understand that this is wartime, mm. and you you have to strategize. Yeah. So that means that it doesn't mean that you shouldn't stand where you ought to stand. Yeah. You should absolutely, that's that's a given, right? Right. And if that means that you're, in, you're working for Facebook or Google mm. and that you're going to lose your job, then so be it. But you shouldn't um, <clears throat> say, okay, I'm going to lose my job. Mm-hmm. I'll just hope something pops right. up. Right, yeah. Um, you should be prepared. You can't, you can't go out to win a war. I mean, there are certain times where God, uh, take for example Gideon, it's like right. take the 300 mm-hmm. and, and you can go, yeah, that's you all can you go win. Yeah. That's all you get because you need to learn to trust me. Right. And, and if that's God saying that, yeah. you listen to him. You listen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's not the rule. That's, not, <laughs> that's yeah. the exception. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. Right. Um, but generally speaking, if you're in a job, you're providing for your family, and you're, you're about to make a decision where you either compromise um, the principles and the moral standard that God has laid out for us or lose your job, you should start thinking about how else you're going to provide for your family. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't forget to plow your field and then be surprised when there's no right. harvest. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, and that's not an easy thing to do, no. but... War is not an easy thing to win. Amen. So deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Uh, yeah. Um, do you have any other thoughts on that, Isaac? Uh, no, I mean, that does roll really well into my toilet talk tip. Nice. But, um, I'm excited to hear it. What is it, Isaac? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, uh, the, the fact is, if you look at the economy right now, there are jobs available. Yeah. Right? So just on the note of strategizing mm-hmm. and not... You know, obviously, you want to prepare for the future, right? right? So maybe that's just updating your LinkedIn profile and resume, be more active on it. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with networking, right? Yeah. That doesn't say I don't trust my company. It doesn't say that I want to leave my company, but it does say I'm planning for the future, mm-hmm. right? And maybe, especially if we're talking to young men, right, who may yeah. still be in high school, college, who are thinking about careers and thinking about what do I love doing, what do I, what am I passionate about? Well, you should diversify, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you're in a field that you're like, oh, this is why I want. A few years down the road, you may not want to be there, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe you don't want to be at that com- company. Mm-hmm. So know right now that the economy is pointing to you. Ha- there are plenty of jobs. You're the commodity right now. Yeah. Like people need workers. Mm-hmm. And that's just a fact. So yeah. uh, you're in a good spot to take a stand, yeah. right? I mean, like, and, and there are uh, that that shouldn't just because the economy is in your favor shouldn't indicate uh, shouldn't mean that okay, I'm taking my stand now. You should take a stand regardless of whether or not the economy is favorable, mm-hmm. um, because that's your calling. Right. Um, but just just know that things are in your work in your favor and you shouldn't have to work a job that's um that's something that's just you know hellacious for you yeah so that's my tip i love it that's fantastic um so my tip this is uh straying a little bit off the beaten path for this show but um i've just been reading a, a lot about uh 
the financial system of the U.S. Yeah. And we're going to oh, do yeah. a special episode on this uh, probably in a month or so. Okay, because you still got to finish the book. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's a tome, man. <laughs> it is It is an absolute unit of a book. Um, great book. Um, I, I would... I guess this isn't my toilet talk tip, but I started talking about it. So I yeah, recommend yeah. reading uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island Okay, um, to anyone listening. It's, it's about the Federal Reserve, and it's actually, it's not only an incredibly insightful book, but mm-hmm. it's thoroughly enjoyable. Okay. So I'd recommend reading that for starters. Okay. Um, but then my, my other tip is uh, f- for young men who are, you know, striving to be either good providers for their family or prepared to be a good provider for a future family. Mm. Um, One thing that I would strongly recommend is hedging hedging a little bit in terms of your savings, Mm. your preparedness for um, what could be coming down the pike. Um, And we'll we'll talk more about... um, thoughts on the economy and such later. But what I mean by that is I don't think it's a good idea to have a bunch of cash in savings. Mm. Um, And I'm probably sounding very conspiratorial at this point, but um, I think think hopefully we'll back up our arguments a little bit later on when we talk about about finances a bit more in a couple episodes down the road. So uh, whether that mean precious metals Mm -hmm. or cryptocurrencies or whatever the case may be, something that's not the U.S. dollar, I would recommend putting your savings there. If you've got got savings, um, generally speaking, there's no reason to have savings actually in cash. Yeah. First of all, it encourages you to spend it, Mm. which is not the point of savings. Right. And second of all, um, just, I mean... just for what's happening right now. If you had had $10,000 in savings in March of 2020, uh, with inflation adjusted, it would only have been worth $9,600 March 2021. And it's only getting worse than that. We haven't seen inflation numbers for um, the following quarters. But bottom line is uh, having money sitting in a savings account is just not good -hmm. good financial planning, generally speaking. now, there are obviously exceptions for if you're about to buy a house. Right. You need to have cash sitting in the bank for mortgage and all that yeah. kind of fun stuff. But um, that's just my toilet talk tip. Yeah, is, that's great. Uh, diversify your savings yeah. away from away from dollars. I've missed this segment, man. I'm glad we brought it back. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. Well, uh, do you have any final closing thoughts, Isaac? Uh, no. I mean, just I, I, I think we're getting to a really exciting point with the network just in general yeah um we're having conversations with a few people that could make even just this podcast really really good uh it's already really good (laughs) 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 you just gave me a look (laughs) what are you talking about you're getting fired (laughs) so (laughs) fired because i pay you like totally yeah no but um if you want to hop in at the ground floor of this thing just join the conversation Right. Let's act, let's let's start having uh, discussions around what we're doing, so we you can help shar- sharpen this podcast. We have a Discord channel. Kip's about to plug that in a moment, but we also have Facebook group for the network as a whole. And if there are things that you want to hear, like another podcast, uh, throw ideas out there. And we've brought on uh, two podcasts just because people said they wanted to listen to it. So yeah, um, that's that's happened. Right. So yeah. uh, it's it's some. Um, 
I know I'm really excited, but I'm always excited because this this has been a project I've been on for a few years now, and it's just it gets better with with age, dude. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, we're excited. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm not on Facebook, so if you want to talk That's to right. Isaac, you can go on the Facebook group. But yeah. if you want to talk to me and tell me I'm an idiot, <laughs> or ask me what I'm on about, uh, whenever I bring up any of my random claims, <laughs> uh, the Discord channel is a great place to oh, do yeah. that. So oh yeah, I'll uh, if you want to message me there or, or whatever the case may be. That's a great place to do it. Um, yeah, if you've yeah. listened to us for this long, we hope you've enjoyed what we've had to say. For sure. um, definitely, as Isaac was just saying, hop on, hop on the Discord channel, chat with us, uh, let us know what you think, what you want us to talk about, or if you want to talk with us about mm-hmm. a topic, um, get an idea for some of our sources, yeah. anything like that, we'd love to chat with you. Um, that link will be in the description. And... Yeah, with that, for the Cut and the Dry on TLG Radio, this is Kip and Isaac signing off. Welcome back to Sanctifying Story. This is Ryan Ayers, and this is episode 8, August 31st. In 937 AD, King Æthelstan stepped onto the battlefield of Brunanburh with his Saxon army to meet the horde of oncoming Danes and Picts. In the ensuing struggle, the Saxons' resolve held, the Vikings' defenses broke, and Æthelstan's men began slaughtering the fleeing rabble of Danes and Picts. By sunset of the same day, Æthelstan and his bloody troops had crushed the enemy force, marking both the end of a generations-long war and Æthelstan's new title as the first king over all England. However, Æthelstan's victory in the battle and the war are not his victory alone. Rather, Æthelstan is the final act of a plan his grandfather, Alfred, began. Æthelstan's victory at Brunanburh is the culmination of Alfred's many actions that earned him the title Great, the only British king to be given such a prestigious title. Dr. Merkel wrote The White Horse King to defend Alfred's right to that title. To read most of Dr. Merkel's defenses of Alfred, you should just read the book. But I'll take us through two of the most important reasons Alfred is great. Alfred's character and Alfred's faithfulness. Section 1. Alfred and the Critics Dr. Merkel has written a historical biography of King Alfred, but he has done so in a way I have never really seen before. Usually when writing a history, the historian takes great pains to be unbiased, meaning simply delivering the facts and nothing else, which is of course both ridiculous and impossible. If a historian wrote nothing except for a series of dates, those dates would be biased according to that historian's preferences. Why these dates and not those dates? Why is this date first and that one last? Even with a string of dates, it is impossible not to be biased, to consider some people heroes and others villains, and we would not read the history if it was any other way. 
This tendency to attempt unbiased analysis usually stumbles instead into hypercriticism. If something can be doubted, then it absolutely should, regardless of how reasonable and likely it is. This occurs a great deal with King Alfred, as scholars rush to strip off his title, disassociate all white horse legends and success from the king, and generally smear his name. Dr. Merkel, however, is completely open with his own opinion and the purpose of the book, to celebrate King Alfred. Of course, the point is to celebrate the genuine King Alfred, which involves a reasonable skepticism in taking many Alfred legends with a grain of salt. But such openness with his intent makes Dr. Merkel more honest than most, and the story he tells that much more trustworthy. Since The White Horse King is a book of praise, Dr. Merkel writes the reader into the moment, describing how it might have felt to be locked in a shield wall against the Danes, and therefore relating the heroism of those who stood in that shield wall. Again, in pursuit of unbiased opinion, most historians would never give you the first-person experience that Dr. Merkel freely dishes out, the experience that helps the reader appreciate the valor of Alfred. Dr. Merkel's sincerity and peculiar method of storytelling let alone who he is praising with his story, makes the book well worth its price. Section 2. Resistance and Reformation Under constant attack from Viking raiders, many of Britain's monasteries were desecrated, and all of the occupants either torn to pieces or sold into slavery. However, while Alfred was young, Viking raids changed into all-out warfare. Massive invading forces marched into the land with a mind to stay, and under their efficient warfare tactics and the simple threat of warfare, all of Britain crumbled to the Vikings' armies except one kingdom, Alfred's. Completely passing over much of what made Alfred, Alfred, you really should read the book. Completely omitting his time haunting the swamps and forgetting how he burned a peasant woman's cakes, Alfred eventually returned to his throne and achieved a brief respite from his enemies. In that time, he made a series of ambitious and brilliant reforms to his empire that equip equipped his shamble of a nation to fight off three Viking hordes at once, and more importantly, build his nation into a thoroughly Christian kingdom. The first reform was his army. The Vikings moved their forces with such rapidity that by the time Alfred summoned men from every feared, Vikings had taken over a stronghold, a stronghold always well-supplied and well-fortified. To rectify this problem, Alfred divided all the Wessex fighting men in half. Half would train in an active army, the other half would remain doing their daily jobs. Since Alfred kept a scheduled rotation, this kept the troops fresh, the economy strained but stable, and peace of mind with the men away at war. Alfred then divided the standing army into two sections. One would be a single standing army waiting for invasion, but the other section Alfred located in garrisons and cities about 20 miles apart from each other across all of Wessex, creating both a large standing army capable of quelling raiding parties and a network of defense through 30 fortified cities. Now that his subjects learned war, Alfred began the second reform and decided he and his subjects should learn wisdom. If Christian virtues were to return to Wessex, his people needed Christian learning. However, ignoring the fact that practically all of Christian learning in the West had been handed down in Latin, 
and ignoring that literacy had previously belonged only to some members of the church, Alfred began teaching himself and all his noblemen fluency in Anglo-Saxon. Of course, to become wise and fluent, they needed the great books to read, so Alfred and his team of scholars brought to Wessex from all over Europe, translated the books most necessary for all men to know, including the theology and philosophy of Augustine and Boethius, and the poetry of the Psalms. However, his people were still ruled by men who favored money and prestige over actual justice. So, Alfred began the third reform of Wessex's law system. Alfred thought that only those laws founded on the eternal principles of God's justice, laws that had passed the test of time, and laws that had been passed down from generation to generation should be enacted. Thus, his law code rested first on the Ten Commandments for foundation, as well as the principles gained from the rest of the Levitical law. Alfred, then, like everyone else, saw the manifestations of problems in Wessex, poverty, Viking raids, and injustice, to name a few. However, Alfred understood the true flaw of Wessex, and as he saw, the true reason for the pagan plague. Wessex's unbelief and falling away from God. The defensive reforms, revival of learning, and ministering of justice all testified to Alfred's tremendous insight in understanding the flaws in the Anglo-Saxon culture and his apparent thesis that building a Christian kingdom with the Christian citizens is the best security and solution to these flaws. Section 3. Kingly Virtue Two scenes from Alfred's life illustrate the character of the King of Wessex. One of his great and earliest enemies was the Danish warlord Gunthrum. Gunthrum's amassed army of Danish pirates invaded the then blundering Wessex, intending to rule the kingdom. Despite Alfred's several victories, by superior experience and numbers, Gunthrum took over Alfred's central city and forced the king into exile, roaming the marshes Grendel-like, bringing traitors and the faithful alike their due reward. The time finally came to reclaim the city, and Alfred took Gunthrum by force, and soon received the besieged Gunthrum's plea for mercy. In previous years, other Danes had run into, into defeated British kings who also made similar pleas for mercy. The Danes responded by filling a King Edmund with, with arrows till he bristled like a hedgehog, and sacrificed a King Ayla to Odin by pulling his ribs apart in the blood eagle and then tearing his throbbing lungs out. With the tables turned and a Danish king plea pleading for mercy from a British king, Alfred too decided to sacrifice Gunthrum to Alfred's god. Alfred devoted Gunthrum to God by baptism, declaring himself the godfather of the new convert, and after the baptism of the white-robed Dane, celebrated with all of his house twelve days straight, each day full of feasting and festivities and entertainment, commemorating the day Ethelstan, no longer Gunthrum, became a newborn Christian. In true Christian and Anglo-Saxon hospitality, King Alfred rained down on his enemy instead of famine, feasting, instead of slaughter, gold and silver, instead of vengeance, joyful forgiveness. When the feasting was over, Alfred gave Gunthrum, now Ethelstan, back to his army. Ethelstan immediately marched out of Wessex and ruled in Mercia to the end of his days, ignoring all cries from other Danes to join in plundering again. 
When Ethelstan died, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, a chronicle written around Alfred's lifetime, referred to the Dane by its Christian name, Ethelstan. There was no record of his previous life as Gunthrum. He was simply Alfred's grandson. A similar situation occurred when the warlord Hastine descended on Wessex. Hastine's long career of pillaging and ravaging had passed into legend, not least of which was his attempt at plundering the realm itself by means of his and his family's baptisming into Christianity. Seriously, read the book. Hastine tried the same baptism and plunder play on Alfred, and his two sons became godsons in baptism to Alfred. However, by the time Hastine arrived in Wessex, Alfred's reforms had already taken place, and no amount of tri trickery could give the warlord a lasting foothold in Wessex. While fleeing Alfred, Hastings' wife and sons were captured and transported to London, where Alfred met them to judge their fate. Hastings and his family were baptized and had therefore committed their pillaging and slaughtering of Wessex as Christians. It was completely lawful for Alfred and his nobleman's eyes to execute the three Vikings. Instead, Alfred reminded those there that he was a godfather to both sons. Though neither Hastings nor his family considered the baptism binding, that was irrelevant. Alfred considered the baptism binding and held them to it. Alfred therefore embraced Hastings' family as his own, showered them with gifts and feasting, and then ensured their safe travel back to Hastings. In response, Hastings with his family returned to Europe never setting foot on Wessex again and leaving the remaining Viking forces to fend for themselves. To appreciate Alfred's acts, consider Paul's argument that our weapons are not carnal but spiritual, mighty for pulling down strongholds, 2 Corinthians 10.4. Or consider Peter's example of one such spiritual weapon. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, 1 Peter 2.15. Consider finally that Jehoshaphat put the choir praising God on the front lines of his army, which resulted in three days' worth of plunder for the Israelites. In both scenarios, Alfred, in a tremendous act of faith, saw a very dangerous enemy, and so dropped the carnal weapons, and instead pulled out the really big guns, doing righteously, praising God, and feasting. Conclusion the last remarkable trait, which has really been the theme the whole time, is Alfred's faithfulness, specifically his generational faithfulness. Alfred started 101 reforms, and though he did see some fruit of his work in his own day, a successful defense against Hastings' army notably, he died three years after this success of a sickness he developed in his youth. His educational ambition, his reformation of British law, and most importantly, the return of wisdom and faith to his people, Alfred, would never see. But his sons and son's son, Ethelstan, would reap the great harvest Alfred sowed with his own life. I haven't met Alfred yet, but considering how he planted military, economic, educational, and judicial seeds for later Britons to harvest, considering how he began to reform his kingdom into wisdom lovers, and considering how he gave his hungry enemies drink and his thirsty nemesis drink, it is clear Alfred was a man after God's own heart, a kingly Christian and a brother to wisdom. In Dr. Merkel's words, he was practically a myth and a much-needed reality. He was the king of the white horse, Alfred the Great.
This concludes episode 8 of Sanctifying Story. Give us five stars on Apple or Google Podcasts, and give us a follow wherever you listen to the Life Given Radio. Or join the Life Given Radio conversation group on Facebook to become more involved in the Life Given Radio. Until next time, read The White Horse King, or read G.K. Chesterton's The Ballad of the White Horse, and keep on reading. Thanks for listening to the Sanctifying Story. Welcome to the Brief News Brief Podcast. I'm your host, Isaac Lopez, and this show is presented by TLG Radio. It is also, in fact, the longest-running show on this network. I like throwing that fun fact around every now and then. Today is going to be interesting, as we are only going to review the top five stories of the week and then get into a brief breakdown. But before we get to that, if you enjoy, uh, if, you, if you've stuck around for this podcast, in particular, please leave a five star review wherever you can. If you really enjoy it, uh, why not? Why not share the love? Um, and and uh, the way that this network is going to grow is if people like you, our listeners, uh, share with their friends and family. Let us know what you think so we can make it better. If you're waiting for that day to come around, that you can say with confidence, "Hey, Dad, brother, sister, <laughs> let me." Uh, tell you about this new podcast network that's come up in the last couple of years. If you're waiting for that day where you can say that confidently, then hop in the Facebook group 
the Life Given Radio Facebook conversation. Uh, so that way you can give us feedback. So that way we can make that day come sooner. Now let's get to our top five stories of the week. A mother claims she was stripped of her parental rights by a judge saying that she can't see her son in person until she becomes vaccinated. The mother appeared in court over Zoom with her ex-husband in early to mid-August over a child support hearing. She hasn't seen her son in person since the ruling was passed down. Quote, I miss my son more than anything, she told a news station. It's been very difficult. I think that it's wrong. I think that it's dividing families, and I think it's not in my son's best interest to be away from his mother. It had nothing to do with what we were talking about, she went on to say. He was placing his views on me and taking my son away from me. In this case, her lawyer goes on to say, In this case, you have a judge without any matter before him regarding the parenting time with the child deciding, oh, you're not vaccinated. You don't get to see your child until you're vaccinated. That kind of exceeds his jurisdiction. You have to understand, the the father did not even bring this issue before the court. So it's the judge on his own and making this decision that you can't see your child until you're vaccinated. The attorney for the boy's father reportedly admitted this from the blaze directly that he was surprised by the judge's decision but supports the ruling quote there are children who have died because of covid i think every child should be safe and i agree that the mother should be vaccinated end quote a texas bill went into effect recently that bans abortion as early as six weeks into the pregnancy it allows private citizens to use to sue health care providers that help a woman obtain an abortion after the initial six weeks it now in effect uh, outlaws about 85 percent of abortions that happen in texas hurricane ida swept through the northeast causing intense flooding in new york new jersey and philadelphia flooding basement apartments streets and subway stations It has left 26 dead in its wake. According to the New York Times, officials in Kings County, Washington, have mandated that if you are at a public gathering that has more than 500 people, you will need to wear a mask, regardless of your vaccination status. And finally, as the situation unfolds still further in Afghanistan, resistance has mounted internally against the Taliban. Some reports have mentioned that the country will very likely devolve into civil war. More on this in just a second in the brief breakdown. So I I want to spend some time here as we kick off the brief breakdown. I want to spend some time as we just see this situation in Afghanistan continue to devolve day after day. And I mean, we, we drop this podcast once a week, and I think that's enough to keep a lot of Uh, you up to date and up to speed on the things that are going on if you don't have the time to do that yourself. But really, this situation deserves a podcast every single day because there is so much history that you have to study to be able to understand what's going on and give an accurate uh, breakdown, an accurate summary of what's going on, and then give a really good uh, analysis of it. Because you can't just hop in into the middle of the story and just pretend like you've been reading from chapter one. A lot of people are doing that. I've done that in the last couple of weeks as I've tried to keep up with everything. But as you know, this brief breakdown is not meant to be all encompassing. This is something that uh, 
I, I believe that you can jump into the middle and give some good um, good statements on what's going on. And you can say factually, this is what should have happened. This is what should have happened or shouldn't have happened. But it's still uh, lacking something. And that's context. And so that's what we try to provide on this show um, in the brief breakdown. So let's continue to discuss what's happening here in Afghanistan. This report from the Yahoo News from Yahoo News, not the Yahoo News, um, that says that Afghanistan civil war is very likely to happen. Civil war in Afghanistan is very likely to happen. Let's begin. A civil war between the Afghan resistance and the Panjshir Valley and the Taliban appears likely as ongoing attempts to find a peaceful resolution are failing, according to the brother of Northern Alliance commander Ahmad Shah Massoud, who was assassinated by Al-Qaeda in 01. Ahmad Wali Massoud, formerly the Afghan ambassador to the UK, told Yahoo News that so far, the dialogue between the groups has not resolved the conflict in Panjshir province, the last part of the country not under Taliban control. Massoud made the comments on Wednesday evening after days of clashes between the militant groups broke out from different borders of the region. Fahim Dashti, a spokesman for the anti-Taliban group National Resistance Forces, said violence in the area Monday had resulted in the deaths of eight Taliban members, as well as two of its own fighters. Videos on social media purported to show a convoy of Taliban troops heading toward the province on Tuesday. Quote, what we really supposed was, let's talk, let's talk peace, but the way the Taliban responds is not very positive, Massoud says. Civil war is very likely, he said. The Taliban will not accept the deal. Quote, they will start the war fighting. We have to resist. We have to defend ourselves. The next step would be an all-out war in Afghanistan. One of the challenges in facing off against the Taliban now is that the resistance this time around is a significant weaker force than the Northern Alliance was some 20 years ago, and it controls far less territory. It also lacks the international support the Northern Alliance enjoyed at one time. Massoud, who is currently in London, is planning to travel to conferences across Europe in an attempt to help the resistance campaign before returning to the Panjshir region. He said the group proposed a power-sharing deal with the Taliban, which would offer a decentralized government an equal representation. It represents the different ethnic groups across the country. The proposal suggested a local government in each province. Afghanistan, quote, Massoud said, is made up of almost 30 ethnicities. Four of them are major, Pashtun, Tachink, Tachik, Hazara, Uzbek. So we need a mechanism, a system in which we can live with each other as well as with an international community, end quote. As part of the proposal, the resistance group wanted to find the middle ground on issues with the Taliban, Massoud said, leading to a solution that benefits the whole country. But he admitted that at the moment, the Taliban are not open to listening to peaceful requests. At the moment, they have a mindset of violence, of intimidation, he said. They will not agree to listen logically. Despite the recent clashes, Massoud said that the mood on the ground in Panjshir was very high and that the people are proud to be standing up, ready to defend themselves. End quote. And end of the part of the report that we are reading on air. Now, this is just incredible to see uh, this playing out in real time. It's so something so foreign that we do not have to deal with day in and day out 
actual violence in the streets. And yes, I know that for us as Americans, last year, the last year and a half has been turbulent. But just realize that this is a completely different world you're entering into when you uh, discuss Afghanistan. This is a country fighting for its identity and starting from scratch. We've talked about in the last couple of weeks how the U.S. was holding up the government there. And what happens when you take the, the support away, the foundation away from the government, it's not going to be able to stand upright for very long. And quickly we found out, how quickly we found out how much we were holding that place up. So regardless of whether you think we should or should not have been there, this is the result of chaos. This is the result of uh, having to struggle for very basic freedoms that we don't have to struggle with. So when you're considering Afghanistan, I think once again, you have to rid yourself of the mindset that this is a democracy built off of Christian principles. There are a lot of things that are different between the two nations, but the key thing is that. And the context, the other context that you have to almost forget is the stability that we still enjoy here in the U.S., regardless of what you might have, uh, what you, you think might may or may not have happened in the last year and a half. Anyway, I'm going to end right there because there's so much you can get into on this uh, topic. This is the thing we've talked about in, for the last three weeks on the breakdown, and I, I may do a special episode coming up if I can devote more time to research. Um, but you know, let me know what you think. Reach out to me. You can email me at thebriefnewsbrief at gmail.com. Find me on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, also, Join the Facebook group, right? I made kind of a goofy plug at the beginning, but I, I mean it. That's that's where we're going to grow and get better. It's because of you guys uh, talking to us about the actual content that we're producing. Until next week, remember who the real enemy is. Ephesians 6.12. God bless, and I will speak with you next Friday. <laughs>